<laughs> it's, it's really good to be with you. One year ago today, I was in the hospital having foot and ankle reconstructive surgery. And I would rather be here than the best hospital in the city. Amen. 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 Uh, this morning, um, I, I want to share some things that are very, very... Uh, some of the most fundamental things, I think, for the body of Christ, and that are some of the most meaning things, meaningful things for me on a practical basis, on a daily basis. And um, <clears throat> I believe that they're transformative if we really get involved. Can you all hear me okay? I didn't think I needed that. Um, you know... <clears throat> Go ahead and put the title slide up, if you would, Johnny. Unsheathing the sword uh, to fight the good fight. Every one of us has a sword. Each one of us has a sword. And yet many do not use the sword. It's fundamental to be victorious, to unsheath the sword, and to use the sword. Uh, sadly, too often we live in cliches. And too often those cliches are not even true cliches. You know what a cliche is. And here's some of our untrue cliches. Well, I'm just waiting on God. Right. Now, there's a place to wait on God, right. but the way that's used, it's just a cop-out. Uh, another one is, it's in God's hands. Right. Well, there are some things in God's hands, but the problem with the church is too often we take into our hands what He wants to keep, and we don't take into our hands what He gives us to do. You know, for example, we, we make plans without even considering what the will of God is, and James addressed that. He said, some of you say, you know, we're going to go here, we're going to go there tomorrow, we're going to make do business and all that, said... No, you should not be doing that. You should be saying, if the Lord wills, we will right. do that. But then on the other hand, we ask God to move mountains. Right. And He tells us to speak to the mountain. Yeah, good, right. yeah. And so God's not the mountain mover in that sense. Right, right. But we are called by God to speak to the mountain in faith. Good. And here's, I think, the cliche that tops them all. Well, if it was meant to be... <laughs> That's like Doris Day theology. Kesara, sera, whatever will be, will be. But you know, that's not true. There's so much happens every single day that God did not orchestrate. He did not purpose. He permits it, obviously, in the fact that it happens, but there's no plan in that. And so God really wants us to take charge of the things in our lives that He has asked us, He's commissioned us to, to take charge of. And um, just leave that there for a while, Johnny. Last week, uh, it wasn't the beginning, but there was a strong emphasis last week on two things, and that is our responsibility in making disciples and our responsibility in, in bringing in people. Uh, you know, we can pray them in, but... You don't do that. It's, it's like, you know, at harvest time, right. the farmer doesn't stand at the edge, edge of the cornfield and say, come on, corn, get in the barn. Now, come on, corn, get in the barn. 
The fisherman doesn't stand on the edge of the lake and say, here, fishy, 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 fishy. No, we go into the harvest. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And then he told those he told to pray, he sent them into the harvest. He sent them into the harvest. And so it's our responsibility in God, not in our own effort. We're going to be talking about that today. To influence, impact the lives of people. And so uh, those two things we, we're going to keep emphasizing. That, we, yes, bring people in, but then make disciples. You know, win people to Jesus, but then disciple them. And actually, discipleship begins before you win them to Jesus. As Paul so wonderfully taught last week, that you, you start a relationship with an unbeliever, and then you show him how. The teaching of the Scripture really talks about not just verbally communicating it, but it's demonstration through a life. Yeah. Now, in order to do this effectively, in order to impact the lives of people, in order to go, in order to make disciples, we've got to be grounded and we've got to be confident and secure in the Lord. I'm not saying you've got to have a theological degree. But these are such fundamental things we need to know. I'll never forget back in 1974 when I went to Bible school. Everything I'm about to say to you was totally foreign to me. And I began to hear it, and it was like... I'll be honest, I sat in Bible school from September until January before the first penny dropped. You know what it is when the penny drops? All of a sudden you have a revelation. And what I'm going to share with you are some of the most significant things I've ever learned. And it's been to my own peril that I've let these things fall. We have to be confident and secure in the Lord. Number one, we need to know who He is in us. We need to know what I call in Him realities. In us, Him and us, and us and Him. We need to know who He is in us. God, has, God the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. He is God. The, the, the part of the Godhead that lives on earth is the Holy Spirit. God the Father is in heaven, and at His right hand is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is here, living in us, and He works through us. It's interesting, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, He sent the Holy Spirit on a man named Moses. When God saved the world, He sent the Holy Spirit on a man named Jesus. God always works through people and He wants to work through us. So we need to know who He is in us. We need to know who we are in Him. We need to know what He has done for us. We, want, we need to know that He works in and through us. We need to know that we can, what we can do through Him and what He has given to us. Those are fundamental things. Now, we're going to look at those in just a second. Uh, let, me just, let, me, let me share with you the way I'm pr- approaching my healing. I remember many years ago in the 70s in Bible school, I heard the, the head of the Bible school say this. It was the most shocking statement I've ever heard. Jesus has already saved everybody he's going to save. Well, that shocked me. And what he was talking about, he was talking about the legal side of salvation. 
Jesus went to the cross for everybody. It's a done deal. Salvation has been purchased. And then he said, Jesus has already healed everybody. He's going to heal. Because he paid the price. Salvation means deliverance, healing, preservation, and soundness. And Jesus paid for my healing on the cross. It's in the bank for me. So I'm not waiting on a miracle, and I'm not waiting on a healing. I am receiving that which he has purchased for me. And, and that's the way he wants us to live life, not just looking for him to do something that one of these days when the, all, the, all the things are in a row, it happens. But we receive by faith. And that's one of the things when we talk about. I'm not talking about healing today. But receiving from God is, is very, very important that we understand how to do that. Um, in Christ, we have new identity. We, in Christ, we have new identity. I'm not the old Rodney Lloyd that was born in 1949. But I became a new creature in December of 1971. I died to who I used to be. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I don't identify as a white man or as an American. I don't identify as a male. I identify as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a child of the Most High God. Because... In, in God, Jesus makes us, he makes gender neutral. The scripture says there's neither male nor female in Christ. God doesn't work quicker for men or women. There's, we, we have a status with the Lord. There's only two races. The first race is people of the kingdom of darkness that are lost and people of the kingdom who are saved. Those are the only two races. And so if I get caught up in natural things, I get all out of sorts. But my identity is in Christ. Men are no more in Christ than women are in Christ, or vice versa. Let's first of all see, Johnny, you can go to the next slide, knowing who he is in us. This is Christianity 101. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me through the person of the Holy Spirit. Christ the Holy Spirit lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that doesn't mean carnally, but in this physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words... My life is not mine anymore. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are His. And so, in essence, what that is saying in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 here in Galatians 2, 20 as well, is that my life is none of my business. Because I'm not mine. I, I've been purchased. I've been o- I own, I'm owned by the Lord. My life is His business. So I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. Knowing, next, the next slide. Knowing who we are in Him. 
Uh, and there's so many other. I, I encourage you. There's a little book if you have a if you have a reader, if you have a reader like a Kindle or whatever, it'll cost you 99 cents. It's called In Him through Amazon. In Him by Kenneth Hagen. In Him. It's 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 worth its weight in gold. If you don't have a reader, you can get it for about six dollars and fifty cents on Amazon. In him, what it does, it shows you who you are in Christ, which is your true identity. It shows me who I am in Christ, which is my true identity. And that's what brings me to health. Because, see, I'm not going to get active in doing the stuff if I think it's me. Because I have inadequacies. I have weaknesses. You know, I, when I came to Christ, I was, a, I was a scared little boy. And until I got filled with the Holy Spirit and really began to understand what Jesus has done for me, it did not give me a confidence to move into the work of kingdom, of the kingdom. Yeah. So, so many people are, are trying in their own strength. God didn't call us to do anything in our own strength. I've got, I, I want you to know I'm weak. And I'm not talking about my physical weak. I'm talking about that I have inadequacies. So we're complete in Christ, as Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says. We are new creations in Him. Last week, Paul just did a beautiful job in laying that out in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. We're new creations. I'm righteous because of what He did on the cross. Righteous means I'm in right standing with God. I have right standing with Almighty God. I'm, I, I fail still. I make mistakes. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, now that's a verse for believers, that's not for unbelievers. You don't become a Christian by confessing your sins, you become a Christian by confessing Jesus as Lord and believing God raised from the dead. But that verse in 1 John, uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that's for believers. So if I mess up, I confess it, and God forgives me. Confess means to agree with or to say the same thing as. That's what the word means. So he did that work on the cross. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so, and it's interesting that in that same context of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, it talks about he's given us the word and the ministry of reconciliation. Well, he wouldn't do that to natural people. He does it to people who have his nature. You know, we, we fight battles that we don't need to fight. You know, thoughts come to us. We have to understand Satan talks to us daily. Now, I'm not talking about the big dude. I'm talking about his, his minions. He has minions all over the place. I'm talking about demons. They're real. And, and they talk. I don't know if I've been in the presence of Satan at all. I don't know if he's ever come to me before. Because he can only be one place at a time. God's the only person who's everywhere. Satan's only in one location. But he has many helpers. And we all get this lie. But it's actually true. But the way he uses it, he twists it. You're unworthy. You're so unworthy. You're not worthy of that. You know, I'll tell you something. Just agree with that. You're not worthy. None of us are worthy. None of us is worthy. He, that's what grace is all about. He gives us what we don't deserve. I don't deserve this. I deserve hell all day, every day. That's all I deserve. But he, put, he took the penalty so that I don't have to have it. And we can move on to the next slide. Knowing what He's done for us. Colossians chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. And I'm just scratching the surface this morning. 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. I don't have to qualify myself. He qualified us. What did He qualify us to do? To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. We have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. And part of that is healing, and that's, that's why I'm drawing from it every single day. I'm drawing from it every single day. And I'll talk to you about how to unsheath the sword about 2 o'clock this afternoon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it won't take that long. He's made us to be partakers. 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's delivered us. Already done. He has delivered. He has translate or transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. We've been transferred into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. That's our position. Now, I am an American. I am a male, and I am white. I just needed to cover that in a minute, a minute ago. I understand that. I understand that. But those are not my identity. And I'm not qualified on the basis of those things. I'm qualified on the work that he has done. Ephesians, let's go to the next slide. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 also tells us <coughs> even what he's done for us, even when we were dead in trespasses or sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now this verse is talking about substitution and identification. He was my substitute. I was dead in trespasses. He took those trespasses upon him. He was put into the ground. He was raised up, made alive. I was made alive with him. And he was raised up. We were raised up with him. And been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Back in the 70s, we used to say, keep looking down because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. In other words, that's our position. Just like Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, I am in Christ and positionally, that's where I am. That's our position in Christ. Now, I live on the earth, but that's my position. And the next slide, knowing that, that He works in and through us. Philippians 2.13, this is the New Living Translation. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Amazing. Really amazing. Because I'm going to tell you, there's times I don't have the desire and I don't have the power. I don't want to do. I mean, there's times I have no desire to do spiritual things. I want to be lazy from time to time. But God is working in us, and that's why we need to learn how to get in touch with the greater one who lives on the inside of us. When, 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 I, when I'm praying in the Spirit, I rarely feel like doing it when I start. But as I begin to pray in the Spirit, and I keep praying in the Spirit, usually in less than five minutes, all of a sudden... There's a change on the inside of me. And it moves me into a realm to where it's like my antenna begins to pop up. And I perceive things. See, diligence is not a bad thing. (laughs) I thought I'd throw that in there. 
Next, next slide. Knowing what we can do through him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I can't jump off of a building and, and not, not kill myself. <laughs> that's, that's all things. This is all things in Christ. This is all things in the plan of God. This is all things about what his purpose is for my life. I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do it through Rodney because Rodney will fail at it. Knowing, uh, next slide, knowing what he's given to us. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, he didn't spare Jesus, he delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God's not withholding. God's not withholding at all. He's not withholding. He's not withholding. Now, like I said, that's just scratching the surface. You can leave it there for now, Johnny. What we said a minute ago, making disciples, inviting or bringing people to the church, living in our new identity. These things just don't happen. They don't just happen automatically. We have to contend. We have to, I have to contend for who I am in Christ. It's done for me, but I've got to contend to live in it. And I'm going to say more about that at the conclusion. Uh, the, those particular things. How, one, of the, one of the best things for learning to contend. I got into a discipline back in 1974 that changed my life. And as I have let that fall off, I have experienced the negative of it. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Can anybody change that? Emergency called. It's okay. It's not a problem. Hey, that's great. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. You then, my son or my daughter, but actually sonship is what God gives all of us. Uh, you know, the, bo- the body of Christ is the bride of Christ, male and female. I'm the bride. You're the bride. But we're all sons. As a matter of fact, there is no reference in the New Testament to women being daughters. We're all sons. We're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're all sons. We're gender neutral in the kingdom. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm not getting weird. I'm just giving you biblical things. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If Paul's saying be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus then it's possible to not do that. You don't get instructions for what's impossible not to do. He's saying be strong in the grace in Christ. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering or affliction like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. When I say suffering, is talking, I'm talking about sickness. It's talking about the challenges. There, there are challenges as a believer. And good soldiers are willing to go into those challenges. Actually, there's three things that Paul does here in 2 Timothy. In this short passage, he talks to us as a soldier, as, a, as an athlete, and as a farmer. And there's certain things that all three of those do that we are to emulate and work into our lives. 
No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Doesn't mean you got to quit your secular job. It's not talking about that. What did George Washington say? One of the greatest dangers of America is to get entangled in foreign alliances. Okay? Well, this is a similar thing. Entangled means that you're all wrapped up to where you can't move in the purpose of God. We can, I mean, we have to be involved in civilian affairs. We just can't get entangled in it. But uh, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled, but rather aims to please his commanding officer. That's our aim. Our aim is to be pleasing to the Lord. Similarly, anyone who compete, competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Stay in your lane. I mean, that's what it's talking about. Too many Christians are in somebody else's lane. Seriously, we make everybody's business our business. You know, we, we don't like what Paul wears or we don't like what Paul says. Well, that's none of your business. Or people say, well, you know, I, I just wouldn't do it that way. Well, that's none of your business. Here's what I'm saying. We all have lanes. You know, I, I have a responsibility to compete according to the rules. And if I don't, then I, you know, in a race I get disqualified. I have to be put on the sidelines. I don't want that to happen. Uh, verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. I mean, a man who goes out, and I know that uh, Mr. Mr. Bloomberg said anybody can be a farmer. It's a matter of just digging a hole, putting in a seed, and then waiting for the crop to come up. But that's not, what it's, that's not the reality of it. The reality is it's hard work to be a farmer. And the farmer who works hard receives the crop, and the one who doesn't work doesn't receive that. So there has to be diligence. Be strong in the grace. Next slide. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. That's what verse 2 said. It's never be strong in yourself. Nowhere does the Bible tell us to be strong. It's always strong in the Lord. We're not to focus on our ever-present weaknesses because we have them. And there's always grace available in Christ Jesus to be strong. Why be strong? We need to be strong to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We've got to be willing that even when the opposition comes, and certainly it comes. I mean, it is almost axiomatic. You purpose to do something in God, and trouble starts immediately. You pray one way, and many times the exact opposite happens. Jairus is a great example he came to Jesus, he said, come and pray for my daughter, lay your hands on her, and she will be healed and she'll live. And Jesus went. And yet the very next news that Jairus hears about his daughter is that she's dead. And Jesus turned to Jairus and said, don't be afraid, just believe. And so they got the results. Jesus raised her up. And so what I'm saying is, is that it, it's, it's not like opposition doesn't come. Daniel prayed and it took 21 days for, was it Michael? I think it was yeah. Michael. To break through because the prince of Persia, the demon that was over Persia, opposed him. So endure hardness. Sometimes the hardness is nothing more than just waiting for what you know God said. You know, waiting for what you know God said. Waiting for it to manifest. Right. 1 Timothy 6.12 Next, yeah, thank you. 
Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good, good confession in the presence of many uh, witnesses. Just hold that one there for now. Fight the good fight of faith. Why, why is it a good fight? The main reason that it's a good fight is because the battle has already been won by our champion. He's already done it. He's already done it. At the cross, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. All opposition has already been defeated by Jesus. So what's the perspective and the position from which we fight? We don't fight to win. We fight as victors, enforcing his victory and enforcing Satan's defeat. Jesus' victory was for us. And his defeat of Satan was for us. So how do we fight? How do we fight? We fight by faith using the weapons that God has given us. And, and this is also true in how you, how you approach a city that's captured with a vision to see that city come to revival. One by one. How do you do that? You contend. Yes. You contend. Like if God's put somebody on your heart, it's not just, oh Lord, help me. It's contending. Getting in the prayer closet over that person. And contending. Contending for that person. We fight using the weapons that God has given us. Now let's look at the next slide. This, this is not an eye test, but it's almost. <laughs> I meant to increase that font, but I didn't. And there's one coming that's even worse than that. So we'll, we'll make it. <coughs> I, 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 I emphasized things I wanted to emphasize with the blue. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Can't be strong in me. Put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. Put it on. Why? so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the deaf devil. The word wiles is the word methods. That means the devil's a Methodist. No, that doesn't mean that. doesn't mean that. The, the wiles means methods. It means scheming all of his tricks. So if it says put on so that you will be able to withstand, it means that if you don't put it on, you will not be able to withstand. Right. Verse 12, we do not wrestle. And that's the theology of many Christians. Yeah. We do not wrestle. Right. No, he's saying we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, not humans. Our, my problem yeah. is, is not people. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. The New Testament shows heaven, the heavenlies is three realms. The third heaven is where, where we're, uh, is going to come down to us and we're going to live with God. But right now the third heaven is where Father God is seated on His throne. The second heaven is, is the, the realm of the demonic host. And, and the, and the uh, first heaven is 
our heavenly, our atmosphere and, and the, all of the planets and all that and beyond the atmosphere. So the heavenly hosts of wickedness are those demonic forces. And they're real. And it's not to put fear in you, but it, the reality is we have an, op we have an opponent. Right. And um, he doesn't like it when we obey God. He doesn't like us when we get serious about the Lord. Verse 13 says, Therefore take up. He said put on. Now he says take up in order to put on. Take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day or the day of opposition, the day that evil has come. And having done all, to stand. And then he says, stand one more time. Stand therefore. Next slide. Stand therefore. I'm going to go through this pretty quick and then I'm going to lay out the pieces of armor. Having girded your waist with truth or put a belt around your waist, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and I love this translation, the New Testament for everyone, verse 15, for shoes on your feet, ready for battle, take the good news of peace. And verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And most of those fiery darts come in the thought realm. Thoughts. We'll talk about that too. Verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer. So this, this armor has to be a part of it's not part of the armor, but it's a part of really effectively using the armor, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So this whole thing he's talking about has to do with the saints. Praying for the saints. Our our focus is uh other people coming in, but we need to be praying for each other too. All right? Now, next slide, the armor. Here are the pieces of armor. The belt of truth. Uh, truth, God's word is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but, but he is the word of God. And it's, it's God's word that is truth. Uh, him as a person and the scriptures. This is truth. This is why we need to be familiar with the scriptures. The breastplate of righteousness. My standing in God. There's more to it than that, but I, I, I don't want to teach on all of this. The shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helm of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're talking about... <clears throat> unsheathing the sword. Now, of all of these pieces of armor right there on the screen, which are clearly offensive weapons? There's only one, the sword. That's an offensive weapon. I mean, I guess you could hit somebody with the shield. But these, the, the, the sword is the offensive weapon. And where is the sword found on the warrior? Not in the hand. 
Four scriptures in the, in the book of Revelation reveal Jesus as the word of God with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So if you draw a picture of this warrior with, with armor, you won't have a sword in his hand. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. And what is the sword? It's the word of God. How do you unsheath the sword? You speak God's word. You speak God's word. I mean, I'm doing a lot of speaking of God's Word, and, and I'm not doing it in order to attain or to move God to do something. I'm doing it because I'm doing warfare against the attack that's come against my body. And, you know, uh, I don't have time to go into all this, but let me just say this. Uh, I've not always taken medication. I'm not opposed to medication. I'm not opposed to doctors. I had a tumor coming to my armpit back in 1979. And by revelation of the Holy Spirit, I spoke the Word of God for two weeks, and that thing totally dissolved, even though it grew very large. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not opposed to anything. I'm just simply saying that we feel it's right to go ahead but we pray, we pray over this medicine. I mean, the list, of, the, the list of side effects is absurd. So what, what we do, we gather together. I don't take a pill without, without Nita with me, and I hold it. I can't touch it. I have to put gloves on to, to put it in. The, so anyway, I'm just saying I hold this little pill on a paper towel, and I receive it as part of God's provision. I had a friend call me the other day. I hadn't talked to you for a long time. And he said, I perceive God's going to be with you in the, in the, process, in the procedure and in the recovery. And so we, we, we see this as part of the procedure. And so the scripture says that everything can be partaken of if it's received with thanksgiving because it's sanctified through the word of God and prayer. The Bible says if you partake of any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. And so we pray over it and we receive it as though it's from the hand of God. And we tell it. It's called targeted therapy. And we tell it you were designed by the wisdom that God put in people to target bad stuff and no good stuff. And we speak to it. You're crazy. I don't care. Jesus spoke to a fig tree and he's not crazy. We speak to it say you've got to go to the bad stuff. You can't touch the good stuff. And we receive it and, and I've had no side effects yet. The only thing that is remotely like that is my blood pressure is a little bit elevated, a little bit of weakness. I'm just simply saying that I, I'm not going to keep my sword sheathed because there's a battle on. But we don't need to just wait for a battle to unsheath our sword. We need to use our sword on a regular basis. All right, let's go to the next slide. 2 Corinthians 4.13, Since we have the same spirit of faith, what is the spirit of faith? According to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. So the spirit of faith is believing and speaking. It's not that you speak it enough that, until you believe it. It's you believe it and then you speak your faith. Faith says what God says. The spirit of faith believes and speaks. Jesus had to fight. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4. It's also in Luke 4, but Matthew 4, I, I prefer the wording a little bit better. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit had come upon him in the third chapter of Matthew. 
The Spirit of God came upon Jesus, and that's when his ministry started. He was 30 years old, no miracles before 30, because Jesus didn't do anything in his own power. See, what he's asking us to do is exactly what he did. He didn't do anything in his own power. He said, uh, uh, it's, it's God in me that does the works. He said, by myself, I can do nothing. That's why nothing happened in his life until the Holy Spirit came upon him at the age of 30. He was sinless all the way through. But he, everything he did, he did it by the Spirit. So now the Spirit of God is leading into the wilderness because he has to go through a trial. He has to begin to face the opposition. And so when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. I would imagine he would be. And when the tempter came to him, now, I'm not gonna, what I'm going to share with you for this little parenthesis, you're not obligated to accept as truth, but it's something that I believe. Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Okay. When Jesus, I believe he was tempted in his thoughts. That's the way I'm tempted. I'm not going to tell you Satan didn't manifest to Jesus. I just don't know that he did. Because he doesn't manifest to me when I'm tempted. So, once again, you're not obligated to believe this. But let me give you this perspective. Jesus has been fasting 40 days. He's hungry. And he's walking along. And what's the last thing he heard God say to him that we know? Chapter 3. This is my son in whom I am pleased. And so what does the enemy come with? If you really are the son of God. So he's walking and he sees, he sees a, a stone. Looks kind of like a loaf of bread. <laughs> he's hungry. And so the thought is, if you really are the son of God, you could turn this stone to bread and satisfy your hunger. But Jesus answered, no, you can't do that to me. I'm the Son of God and I don't have to listen to you. He didn't do that. What did he do? Verse 4, he answered and said, it is written. And then he quotes from Exodus. Because there was no New Testament. As a matter of fact, every one of these scriptures that he speaks are from Exodus. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city. Now, I don't know if he really picked him up or if he just kind of gave him a, a vision about that. I don't know. That's not the main point. But the temptation came. Set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Listen, here's the devil quoting Scripture. Satan quoting scripture. It is written. He'll give his angels charge over you and in their hands they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against stone. Jesus said to him, to Satan, it is written. Again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, verse 8. Uh, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here's the thing we need to understand. Jesus did not sheath 
his sword. He did not keep it sheathed. He began to use that sword. I don't know if he used it before. I have no idea. I'm just simply saying here he used it. And we get defeated when we refuse to speak God's word against the things that come against us. Now, how do we resist Satan? We resist Satan by using faith, speaking the word against him. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Let's go to the next slide. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. So though we walk in the flesh, we're living in physical bodies, we do not war according to natural means. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What's a stronghold? One way to look at it, a stronghold is a thought that has a stronghold on your mind. When that tumor began in my armpit back in 1979, the day after I discovered it, I, was, I, was, I discovered it on a flight from Tulsa to, to Pittsburgh. I was ministering there. And that next morning, I, I reached in and it had grown. And the instant I felt it, these thoughts came and they were intended to build a stronghold. Nita is going to have to get a new husband because you're going to have, you're going to die. That time we only had Minda. Minda's going to have to have another father because you're going to die. And then this thought came. Everybody you've ever taught healing is going to throw away the teaching because you're going to die. And immediately I had a picture of Jesus cursing the fig tree. And my arm went up and I turned and I said, I curse you in the name of Jesus. And I address you, Satan, you're a liar. Standing there in the shower just speaking the word. Nita will not have to because I'm going to live and not die and declare the works of God. Minda will not have to because I'm going to live and not die and declare the works of God. And if anybody throws away the scripture because of what happens to me, they're foolish. Your word is truth no matter what happens to me. I I, I would preach this no matter what because this is the truth. This is the truth. Stronghold, a, a, a thought that has a stronghold on your life. Casting down arguments. Some translations say imaginations. The first word of imaginations, the first four letters are images. Sometimes thoughts come in pictures. Casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do you do that? By speaking the word. That's the warfare. You take the sword. You speak the word against those things. Returning to what I was lying out at the beginning. None of what we're just talking about just happens. We have to contend. We have to contend to win people to Jesus. You don't contend with them. You contend with the one who holds them. And that contending takes place in the prayer closet. How do we contend? Next slide. Using faith. Speaking the word. The best prayers are praying scripture. At the beginning of the school year in 1974, we were given these three prayers of Paul, two in Ephesians, one in Colossians. And I began a practice, and this helped the penny drop. I began a practice of daily 
reading these aloud many, many times, many, many times as I walked around our apartment, reading them aloud. And I'll show you why. We'll just use one and then I'm going to close. Next, go to the next slide. That's the eye test. <laughs> and we were encouraged, since Paul prayed these prayers for Ephesus, these are, these are prayers that Paul prayed, two for Ephesus, one for the church at Colossae. If he prayed it for the church at Ephesus, it's a prayer for the church in Detroit. And so what I did, and I, I know I can't change the word, but I put, made it personal. And I changed the words. Therefore, I also, because of my faith, Paul said, because of your faith, I, I said, because of my faith in the Lord Jesus and my love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks, making mention of me in my prayers. It's okay to pray for yourself. And this is what I pray. This is what Paul said to pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of our, my understanding being enlightened that I may know what is the hope or the expectation of His calling on my life. What's God's expected in for me? I need to pray into that on a daily basis. And what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward me who believes according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but in the age to come and he put all things under Jesus' feet and he made him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that fills all in all. I would encourage you Take those three prayers. I don't know how many times, but I'm telling you, it is amazing what happens when you begin to pray and make these things personally. As I was praying these things, I began to understand this. It says, verse 22, He put all things under Jesus' feet. Revelation comes as you begin to pray into the Scripture. He put all things under Jesus' feet. Well, I'm the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. And the feet are a part of the body. So he put all things under Jesus' feet, therefore all things are under my feet. And he gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. And notice the next phrase is talking about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is to be the fullness of Jesus, its head. I am to be the fullness. In other words, the manifestation, what's Jesus like, is supposed to manifest through us. And so... Use this. I encourage you. I can't, I can't encourage you enough. Those three, back it up and let's show them where the scriptures are, Johnny. One, one verse. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And as we do that, we can do it, in it for anything in our lives, but it's building us up so that we can be equipped to do the work God has called us to do. And that work is to... Make disciples, the Great Commission, make disciples of all the nations beginning right here where we are. 
and, and to be bold enough to get involved in people's lives and begin to bring people here. We're not trying to, get, we're not trying to increase numbers. We're trying to increase God's army for the work in the kingdom. Amen. Let's pray.